One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Welcome to the NBA Daily Ding on the Athletic NBA Show. Ding, ding. How about we can just watch basketball? I like that idea. Good morning and welcome to the Daily Ding here on the Athletic NBA Show. I am Jared Weiss. I'm joining in on a Thursday morning. I am with Mark Schindler here. Daniel Lehman is our producer. And Mark, this is a this is an exciting return for you and I getting back on, but I don't think this was the biggest return in the NBA on this evening. Yeah, Kevin Durant played. Uh, it was really good to see him get back on court, man. Uh, kind of weird seeing him in a Suns uniform and back in 35, but... Um, yeah, man, there's a, there's a lot to dive into here. I actually don't remember what his jersey number was in Brooklyn. I just said that. Was it like seven or something like that? I think it was seven. Yeah. Right? Why was All it I know 35? is that it wasn't 35. That's, yeah. I'm, no. I'm fried, man. Not, no, it's, 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 yeah. You're right, because when I was watching the game time, I'm like, something feels different. And it wasn't the color of the jersey. It was the jersey number. 35, Kevin Durant, as we know and love him. He played 27 minutes, 23 points, 10 for 15 shooting. Uh, what I love was after the game, he said, yeah, the one thing I regret was that there were three shots I should have hit. So, yeah, you should have gone 13 for 15. Seems like a reasonable standard to set for yourself. But that's the standard for the Suns this year, because if they don't win uh, the championship, it's going to be a problem. But so far, so good. Yeah, everything looked really great, man. Uh it was uh, or, or not really great. I think you saw flashes of the really great. Chris Paul had a pretty black game from the field tonight. Um, overall, like you could sense some funkiness in how things were were feeling out. Um, I'm going to be interested to see how Monty uh, Monty Williams really approaches stuff with staggering. Uh, like, I mean, obviously, I mean, Kevin's coming in on a little bit of a minutes restriction. He only played, like you mentioned, 27 minutes tonight, but. You just saw there were stages where it's like, oh, hey, I mean, they have <laughs> Devin Booker and Kevin Durant out on the same court. It's like, what what the hell are you supposed to do with that? Um, it was kind of a wonky game, though. There was a, a lot of Kelly Oubre going on in this one. Same thing with Jock Mandel. <laughs> so um, got 24 shot attempts from Kelly Oubre, and I think we can expect more of that moving forward with LaMelo Ball out for the rest of the season. Oh, God, for sure. I mean, we'll, we'll get back to Katie in a second, but how can we not go in on the Hornets right now? I mean... It's absolute shame to see LaMelo Ball get hurt. You don't want him to miss time because he's hurt. But I've had so many conversations with people around the league this year about, like, would the Hornets be better without LaMelo Ball? And uh, the answer was no in this case. Um, And maybe part of that was that uh, actually someone texted me a few days ago that Kelly Oubre is going to take 25 shots in his first game without LaMelo. And uh, he got the 24. He almost got there. (laughs) This I really hope that this team can find some sense of identity as they close the season out, uh, but it's not going to come against Phoenix. And the funny thing about this was KD first sequence of the game where he got involved, blocks a shot, just kind of lightly jogs down the court. And I think it was Chris Paul just threw like a kind of mediocre lofted skip pass to him and two Hornets players ha- like half close out to him. Neither of them gets a hand up because it's the Hornets. It's late in the season and it's Kevin Durant shooting the ball. Yeah, again, like you said, weird game, man. Uh, I do want to say, though, from the Hornets' perspective, I continue to be really impressed with Mark Williams. He's doing really good stuff. Like, he just continues to get more and more comfortable. Um, it goes without saying because he's seven foot two, but just absolutely massive dude who knows how to play massive. Uh, something that, you know, some guys who are seven foot two, seven foot three just never really figure out. And that's something he's 
been really good at. I've I've enjoyed his minutes seeing him start. It's been really fun. And just the last thing, like you mentioned too, with KD blocking that shot, like he adds some that's what I'm most excited to see with this moving forward. Like adding that extra element defensively. Like they've never really had a secondary room protector like that. Um, in this era of the Suns, Nikaias Duncan asked some really good questions to, to KD post game about, you know, what he brings as a rim protector. Same thing to Devin Booker. And um, I'm really excited to see what that continues to play out. Because I think we saw some very interesting stuff with that early on in the game. Yeah, I mean, KD talked about the defense being the area where, you know, he feels like he needs a gel war, which makes sense. Defense, you learn that a little bit later than offense. You know, you, you can like. Even if you don't know the playbook on offense, he's Kevin Durant. He can still find his shots. But like defense, you have to be in the right spot at the right time. You have to get the assignments right. But hey, I mean, that was I know that there was so much talk about like Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson getting traded away with their defense hold up. Kevin Durant in a situation where he doesn't have to worry about being the the actual backline protector because DeAndre Ayton's there. I actually like the chance for him to be a decent defender. I mean, we've seen it work at times when he was alongside Nick Claxton in Brooklyn. I like it. And I, a decent smart word. I should say really good defender. Um, and also he's been hurt, but he also, the benefit is he also got to rest in the middle of the season for two weeks and not have to take the wear and tear of a 40 minute game. Obviously when he's rehabbing, he's doing something, but it's not as bad as getting beat up over the course of the game. So I feel like Katie's going to come out and he's going to really make a mark defensively for this team. Yeah, no, without a doubt. There is no doubt whatsoever that Kevin Durant is going to make a difference for the Charlotte Hornets. And there's no doubt whatsoever that a tanking Detroit Pistons team is going to find a way to lose a game. Although Dwayne Casey certainly didn't look like he wanted that to happen. So the Bulls beat the Pistons 117 to 115. But this all came down to a little bit of a blunder that Michigan fans have seen in the past. Yeah, this was tough, man. Uh, especially to like this... Uh the, the Bulls looked like they were just going to boat race the Pistons uh, early on in the second half. Um, Pistons really just kind of struggled to get anything going. And then in the fourth quarter, they were like, hey, we're going to just absolutely lock up defensively. Bojan Bogdanovic shot 8-12 from three tonight, and that was a lot of their offense, honestly. Like, they were able to get some stuff going, but for the most part, it was Bojan on a heater. And then uh, with a chance to tie the game, uh, with I think they had about eight seconds left. Um they called a timeout that did not exist. And yeah, that was tough. You could tell too. I, I just want to say like, I, I saw some Pistons fans be like, oh, is this a stall tank move? You could see how pissed Jaden Ivey was at himself for calling that. Like, it was very clear this was not about tanking. This was a, a rookie mistake. Like, it happens. Um, so it was cool to see, like, especially considering like this is like graveyard Pistons right now with how many guys are out. <laughs> um, like, I think they have two projected starters in, in this right now like and most of their top eight are out like it was good to see them get competitive have what they had but zach levine just absolutely torched them tonight um was 14 of 20 from the field got to the line six to nine from three uh almost had it just like almost a perfect 41 0 0 line but he had to get one rebound so um which would have been just the perfect exact line but then it was mostly demar just cooking in the fourth too was what really got the bulls uh back into the game after looking like they were going to squander that lead. But um, good to good, 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 good fourth quarter for, for kind of seeing some stuff play out. Rough ending uh, was really fun for about 11 minutes of that fourth quarter in the last minute. Like, Hey, you know, what if we just ruined it? But um, <laughs> it, it was a game. Yeah. The, the guys are not trying to tank the, the coach, the players that they don't have the inside of the tank. Right. Uh, especially Jaden Ivey. 
Like he's actually, you know, now that I'm saying out loud, guy that just got drafted, maybe he does have more incentive to tank, right? Get him, get him on Benyama, get him another big to throw it to. I mean, they have James Wiseman, who's the future of the NBA. So who cares? Jalen Duran also is back there. Buddy Beheim's on the team too, right? So, you know, but like uh, something like that, that is very clearly not a tanking move. Tanking is usually done by the front office, not the players. Um, the front office may create a culture in which the players are completely dis- disincentivized to try to win because nobody gives a shit, a.k.a. Houston. But th- this was definitely the Pistons, I think, have done a good job of maintaining a winning culture. They just don't have the capability to win. And the Bulls oftentimes have not either. Uh, you know, they're 28 and 34. I guess they're 29 and 34 after that, right? Um, and they brought in Pat Beverly to try to turn things around for them because they have to commit to going for the playoffs. And he had 10 assists and 10 rebounds in this game as a starting point guard. Yeah, he's I, – I, I'm not entirely sure to land on him yet. You know, obviously, I think this is, what, his third or fourth game. They, they lost him to the Raptors, but they've been playing better recently. Um, I think without him necessarily being, like, the perfect cog for them, just adding another guy who can play, I think it's helped. Like, obviously, you know what he's going to bring defensively. He's not the same guy that he used to be a couple of years ago, but he still is going to be active. He's going to be competitive. He's going to bring that same Papev energy 130%, 130% of the time. And um, offensively, I think that matters, too. Like, he just – he's going to move the ball. I think that there are times where you wish he'd take more shots um, or you just wish that he was, like, you know, a little bit of a different type of player for what they need. But regardless, like you mentioned, the 10 assists, a lot of it's just, like, he will make decisions quickly. He's going to make things happen quickly, and I think they need that. And it helps too, like Patrick Williams. Um, I like I, I I wasn't in love with moving him to the bench because he'd been playing pretty well, but he's continued to play pretty well off the bench. He was big in the fourth quarter, had a couple good things going. Um, so yeah, it's I'm not like ready to fall in love with the Bulls and where they're at right now, <laughs> um, but it's better process. I'm seeing some better things, so I feel better about that. Um, it was kind of wild too to see. I think like Pat Bev got on on Vooch late in the fourth quarter for a defensive uh, mishap, and and it didn't seem like Vooch was the most happy about that. But also like I think that's kind of some of the stuff that this team has needed after what it's been this year. It's not really necessarily a talent problem. A lot of it's just they don't they're not cohesive. They don't gel, and um, they're at least starting to find a little bit of something. I love how you see you're not ready to fall in love with the Bulls. It's like, bro, you deserve better. You're a catch. You deserve better than that. You're a good basketball mind. You, I, I, you could at least get the Kings. You know, at least like maybe the Dallas the Kings. <laughs> All right, let's get to our last game. Two very, very deserving basketball teams for Mark Schindler's love. The Boston Celtics. They beat the Cleveland Cavaliers one seventeen to one thirteen on ESPN's whatever they call it, all access day. Right? Um, yeah. They had the whole ESPN team there. It's great to see all everybody in town. Um, and the Celtics. This actually one of the funny things we'll get to in a bit was Grant Williams being mic'd up and then getting a DNP. Uh, I feel like you're going to want to get into that one. I obviously want to get into that one because yeah. uh, that was fascinating. Um, but so the the Celtics, they they were up pretty comfortably in this game. This was their game. And then Darius Garland roared back at the very end. He ended up with 29 points and nine assists. I didn't even think he had a good game. Yeah, it was, it was a weird game for him. He took nine threes, and I felt like he didn't take enough in watching. I feel that, you know, in watching him a lot of times. Part of that, like, he's so change of pace to get downhill. Um, but, I mean, I, honestly, like, I felt it was a good game for him. It just, what I loved about what the Celtics did in this game, because it's something that they struggled with in the first two games against Cleveland, which all their games have been really good, honestly, this mm-hmm. year. Um 
But they were so good at getting back in transition, like preventing any kind of early duck-ins, early post seals, um, anything that could really let Cleveland get advantage of their size that they have on the inside. Because I felt like that was something, granted, like the Celtics didn't have Rob Will for either of the first two matchups. Um, but that's something that they were able to really take advantage of early on. And they didn't get that at all in this game. Like they, there was one of the mic'd up segments where you could see J.B. Bickerstaff talking to his players like, hey, we got to get the ball on the inside. Like I agree, but also I just didn't really feel there were a lot of opportunities for that to happen tonight. Um, and that really stagnated a lot of what the Cavs wanted to do offensively. It turned into just shot making. And that's exactly, I mean, like 53 combined shot attempts between Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland is as well as they both played offensively. That's not, as we've seen this year, that's not necessarily the path of success for them winning games. Um, you know, getting the ball pinging around, getting, getting more out of their bigs is really important for them winning games. And that, I mean, the, the Celtics did a really good job taking them out of that tonight. Yeah, I mean, Jason Tatum got to the line almost as much as their entire starting unit did, right? Um, and yeah. th- this game was, th- they were even within striking distance because Donovan Mitchell was just having an incredible shot-making night in the paint. Like, he just, he had a couple finishes over Rob Williams and Al Horford that were just like perfectly defended possessions where he just hit it off the top of the glass anyway. And Rob Williams was big on the offensive end. Like, Jared Allen did do shit offensively in this game. While Rob Williams, the team had up finally for the first time in a while, so something I'm going to write about at some point pretty soon. Like, they had a synergy finding Rob in those, like, gaps underneath the low man stepping up to the ball. And it's something that they used to be great at. They haven't been great at it this year, but they did a really good job with it. And he also just, he was so good on the offensive class. He got them so many second chance opportunities. That's where they really won this game early on. And of course they shot 50% from deep. And that's important because they didn't hit a single shot when they were in New York a couple nights ago when they finally got a loss. And then Al Horford, he hit six of his first six shots Jason Tatum was lights out 13 for 21 from the field, four for six from deep. He finished with 41 points, eight times and 11 boards. Yeah, uh, it was exactly like you mentioned. I mean, it was like, dude, tale of two games uh, from what that next game was part of like going into the, if, if I'm not really a betting person, but if I could have, if, if I had bet on the game that I would have bet on the Celtics shooting the lights out because of what that next game was and how this team tends to go with that. Um, I mean, Horford was, I, I a shout out to Big Al. He's been so fun to watch this year. Um, but six of eight from from three tonight. He was, I mean, twenty three and eleven. He was, I mean, he was the best big man on the court tonight, which says a lot when you're playing against Evan Mobley and Jared Allen. Um, but like you mentioned, too, I, I loved what you pointed out with with Rob. I felt like this is the like he's. I wouldn't say that he's been bad since coming back, but it hasn't been the same level as where he was at last year, which granted, I mean, when you're coming back from injury, that's how it's going to be. But tonight, like you mentioned, like I felt like he really had it going. Part of that too was uh, they were really content to just sag off of whoever the Cavs had on, in, in the weak side. Like Isaac Okora was, uh, he had some stuff going early, but then the Celtics were like, all right, we're putting Rob Will on you and you're, going to take open shots and we're not going to care because you're going to miss them. And even if you do hit them, we're just sagging in to, to blow up the paint. Um, and it felt like not not quite like they were playing four on five for the Cavs, but may as well have gotten to that point. Um, so, you know, again, that's stuff that you're they're They're not really going to be able to fix that this year. I, I have hopes for Isaac Okora long term, but um, felt like the, the Celtics really, really just able to bend things to their will and what they wanted matchup wise tonight. All right, quick, quickly before we go, 
Grant Williams, it took him a while to fight his way into the Celtics rotation, but he eventually got there and he was a guaranteed part of that rotation for so long. And for the first time in like a season and a half, essentially, he got a DNP CD. Um, in fact, I don't know if he ever got DNPs, but it was just like, yo, garbage time. He would sneak in there. And so I, I asked Joe Missoula about it after the game. And so someone else asked him why. And he just said matchups. And then did the <laughs> Joe Missoula stare. Yeah. So I asked the follow up and I was like, all right, come on, g- give me some more detail here. Was it because you thought Mike Muscala, who he played instead, was shooting the ball better? Did you want him uh, with a little bit more length at the rim? What was it? And he said it was a combination of they wanted a floor spacer with more length at the rim. And that was really interesting because Muscala was someone that they traded for that hasn't really played with the team fully healthy, but the one, and and he does a lot of the same stuff as Grant Williams offensively. I would say he's probably a little bit better uh, offensively, at least at low volume, but we've at least seen Williams be effective at higher volume. But Muscala, while he can't, you know, Williams is like a very high level defender in a lot of roles, but the one thing he's missing is at the rim. He's really good at getting vertical, but he can't quite reach over the rim against other guys like Jared Allen and Evan Mobley. So I'm curious what you thought of the Muscala choice, and do you see this as a sign that Grant Williams might be getting pushed out of the rotation? I'm interested to see what happens with that because, not to go like too long on this, but it's been a little bit weird all season, uh, just where it's been with that. Like, obviously, you know, we're getting the reports out of how much money, you know, Grant is uh, in his camp or potentially hoping for in free agency. I would... I, I would be uh, I would be a little cautious with taking too much out of those uh, out of what we've seen out there so far. Yeah. Is what I would say. Oh, for sure. But I, yeah. I do think like it's it's interesting to look at. Just like I I really like Grant as a player, but at the same point, like okay, um, like you mentioned with Mike, like I, I think the the issue with Grant is just thresholds. Like he can do really good things that are extremely valuable in the basketball court, but if he's not doing it at the highest level that he's possible of doing. It it there's real real diminishing returns. So like, I mean the the hesitation that he's had as a shooter has been kind of baffling over the last month or so. I think that's been a big contribution for his playing time dipping over the last week. Um, like there there he's just kind of had the yips in a way that I didn't expect him to. Like he's really only taking open shots, and even then, like he's still checking out of some of them. Um, and it just for what this team does and what they how they want to play like they can't have him play like that um they need him to be more aggressive they need him to play like the player he was frankly over the first month like over the first month of the season like that was perfect that was the exact player that they needed and it just hasn't been there for him um so you know hopefully maybe this benching can help him get back in that direction but um i kind of got it like even if i still think that he should be a staple of the rotation um I understood why they went with Hauser and, and Muscala and, and you know, getting guys who they know are going to shoot whenever they get the ball. All right. Well, that's our last shot of the evening. So for Daniel Lehman and Mark Schindler, I'm Jared Weiss. And we'll see you next time on The Dig. Dang, dang, y'all.